I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast by the Takshashila Institution. We are a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like bringing fresh perspectives to Indian affairs and Indian perspectives to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hello, and welcome to All Things Policy. Today, I'm hoping to touch upon a topic that I've never really grappled with on this podcast. Uh, why are our cities such a mess? Is the question we want to ask today. And the short answer seems to be politics. Uh, we pay a lot of attention to our general elections and our state elections. Uh, we seem to treat them like festivals. Uh, but what about our municipal elections? I'm joined today by someone who knows a thing or two about the subject. Suman Joshi is a program manager of Takshashila's uh, graduate certificate in public policy. And she really understands these urban issues better than any of us, certainly much better than me. Uh, I'm also joined by Atish Pardi. Uh, Atish is, uh, handles, among other, many other things, our digital properties. Uh, now, obviously, you know, getting to urban governance, it does tie, it, you know, this issue does tie into broader questions about our role as citizens and as well as the very nature of politics in India, the legitimacy of protests. Uh, so let's dive right in. Uh, Suman, uh, welcome to All Things Policy. This is your very first time on the podcast, right? Yes. Uh, thank you, Aditya. Thank you, Adish. It's something that I've been, I'm doing for the first time. I'm quite excited about it. Great. And we'll hope, hope to have you here much more often now. Uh, now, you recently wrote an op-ed about the need for what you called uh, active citizenship, especially in cities. Uh, we'll get to active citizenship in a bit, but I first want to start with some context. Uh, you start your op-ed uh, by mentioning the recent municipal elections in Hyderabad, right? Uh, and you you make the case that, uh, among other things, you know, obviously that election was fairly free of any substantive issues. Uh, and you, you make the case that citizens uh, are reacting to the failures of local government by sort of withdrawing into their own private en- enclaves. Uh, you know, they're taking matters in the, into their own hands uh, and they're developing their own private solutions there. Can you give us some instances of this? Uh, for example, in the very city in which we are today, Bangalore. And uh, why are citizens choosing these private solutions instead of uh, engaging government? So uh, the entire uh, uh, inspiration or the thought process began with a few years ago, actually, with how the elections, etc., are taken. So we take our um, general elections very seriously. The seriousness reduces with, you know, with the state elections. And by the time we come down to our municipal elections, nobody even knows that it has happened or it is due and nobody I mean not anybody from our circles like people like us give a damn about these elections right so but when you look at actual service delivery when we look at actual uh, delivery of all the amenities or anything that the state needs to do it is the local government so we really need to take those elections seriously because that is what defines how we live around here. So the reason for this, as I have read for the past few months, is seems to be that most as we in, uh, rise in our economic uh, levels or you know income levels, we seem to lose faith in the state, right? So we, I mean, the minute we can see an exit out of making a claim on, on the state, we take that that route out. 
So even in my op-ed, I've been talking about, uh, you know, the exit, you, I, you can either exit or you voice your protest, as the economist uh, Albert Hirschman has said. So um, the minute you are able to exit, we are exiting. That's what all of us have done. Right? So if you look at all our communities that are gated communities that we live in, the instances of private solutions abound aplenty. You look at water, you look at security, you look at um, you know electricity, all of them are public uh, you know goods that or amenities that the state has a role to play. Now uh, we can debate on the private good, common good, that part of it, but it does not absolve the state of making these amenities available to the citizens. But what we see is since the state has um, abdicated in some sense, what we have seen is that we have found so private solutions. So if the piped water, piped water is, is something that the state should be providing. Now the state is not provided that, so what do we have? We have water tankers. We have tanker mafias and we have, therefore we have all these um, other associated things, governance issues around that. Similarly, electricity, look at electricity. You don't have a um, regular supply of electricity. So we have the gensets, we have DGs, we have whatever else that comes along with it and the governance failures around that. Okay. Now, if you look at, I mean, of course, education, health, security, security is also, security is something that the state should provide. That is the primary purpose of the state, right? Like, it has monopoly over violence and therefore everybody needs to feel safe. But look at all our, um, you know, our residential societies. We pay extra for, for, this, for, society, uh, for security around there. We do all of this. So all these are actually private solutions that we have found because we do not rely on the state. And why do we not rely on the state? Comes down to what Lance Pichet or Devish Kapoor in their papers have spoken about the flaming state. While the state can do one-off elections, one-off events well, but the regular ubiquitous um, you know, uh, functions of the state, there is a huge service uh, defects or delivery defects there, which may, which forces citizens to look for private solutions. That's what I meant to say when, you know, we are opting out kind of thing. Yeah. So obviously this is something that only some citizens are capable of doing, right? So like yeah. you said, it's, it's only with rising income levels that this option, in, you know, arises in the first place. The other uh, point that you make connected to this, uh, which I really, your central point is that instead of seeking these sort of private solutions, what we should do is engage in active citizenship. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you mean by active citizenship? Active citizenship is when all of us actually as citizens participate in the daily effects, but that is not possible in a modern democracy, which is why we have representatives. But the latest definition of or latest or updated definition of active citizenship comes from Stacey Abrams' uh, campaign. Or you know, uh, Stacey Abrams is this uh, lady who ran the Democratic uh, campaign in Georgia. Georgia was is a was a red state. 
she's credited with having turned it to green, uh, to the blue um, or in the recent elections and she did this through active citizenship through her foundation of course but active citizenship actually means uh, i mean the is premised on encouraging citizens to use their agency to make claims on the state so claims on the state is one of the important pillars of democracy the other two being electoral participation and uh, you know protests or resistance as you call now we do fairly well in terms of electoral participation because we think that is the one time we actually um, you know show our uh, agreement or disagreement with the government protests are also fairly common but making claims on the state like we discussed earlier is not widespread or we don't do a great job as citizens we don't do a great job of that what this active citizenship actually did was in the us was made people aware it's a very uh, evolved form of awareness campaign of you know voter suppression their rights as voters and voter suppression considering georgia was the demographics of georgia is mostly is majority black and still you had a republican thing means there was a lot of um, voter suppression and stuff like that but she used uh, or her campaign used uh, things like you know agency to make people aware of their rights and also i mean you just can't do it single handedly you need representatives on the ground you need to build a movement around that and make them aware so active citizenship is premised on the three things of one a value framework two representatives who will carry your message and three of course technology which will help the representatives carry the message so that is the summary of active citizenship so we can take a lot of lessons from there on to mm-hmm. our you know local governance or local citizenship issues here yeah but you know what you have given us is, is a is a great example of you know it's essentially of political mobilization right you're raising awareness what you're doing it for a specific partisan cause uh what if you know such active citizenship is used uh you know uh, or for a specific purpose for uh, a narrow political goal uh, at the local level what if there are two different visions uh, of what should be done in a city uh, how do these you know how will active citizenship really solve that problem i, I suppose in a broader sense what i'm asking is uh, are there problems like this that might arise with active citizenship and you know are there other unanticipated consequences consequences yeah i would think that even vigilantism may come up as an unintended consequence of uh, you know active citizenship that the thing that ambedkar has was always against because he was against this village uh, gandhi's vision of the village economy or whatever uh, you know that is a danger of having you know very active citizens or citizens groups as we may call it but the uh, i mean we can't take away from the fact that unless citizens are involved unless citizens make claims on state in terms of say water education electricity whatever you know def- you define the minimum that you want the state to deliver to you and you make claims on that so unless citizens are 
aware enough to make the claims. Now there is resignation or we have internalized the failure of the state to actually deliver to us. Right? So that internalization needs to go. And we need to internalize the fact that we are actually paying double. I mean, we are, it's a, like a double value. We are paying taxes, but yet we buy water. We are paying taxes, yet electricity and everything else is missing in our thing. So, you know, we need to educate or make citizens aware that this is a double whammy for them and they need to make claims on the state. Only when we make claims on the state, the demand side of that will increase and probably our representatives will, will have to respond to those issues rather than bring up, you know, issues, other issues which have more substantive Right. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. So even though this can come with downsides, the broad upside is that it at least forces some focus on issues that plague our cities. But uh, Suman, you know, people will also point out that, you know, there are other more fundamental structural problems with urban governance, right? Uh, True. True. uh, Cities don't have autonomy. They don't really have much control on their own budgets. Uh, So wouldn't that also require activism of a similar kind at the state and uh, yeah, I general think, level? Yes, I would think that firstly the MP lads, the MP local area development scheme, I think that is a huge fraud on the federal structure itself of the government. I mean, if you don't want to call it a huge fraud, it's a slight because the MP as um, a member of the parliament, as his job description, uh, his or her job description would say, is not involved in civic issues, does not have a say in civic issues. The MP has his or her say in lawmaking frameworks or, or any of that. The, devil, the, the devolution of funds needs to come from the centre to the state to the local governments. If you bypass that and you give the MP a fund, then you're undermining the local governance. And, you know, a lot of times people just go to the MLA or go to the MP to solve their civic. Maybe it's a short-term fix for whatever, but as a structure, as a, as a framework, it, is, it, it, defi- it uh, defeats the purpose of, you know, local governance. So I think that we need to rethink that even if you don't want to remove that completely. So when you mentioned how certain things like electricity, water are public goods and therefore must be provided by the local government. Uh, but I just wanted to... So so we know the city of Jamshedpur, only large city in India that does not have a municipal corporation. And in 2018, there was a petition filed in the Supreme Court uh, asking for an establishment of a municipal corporation, but that did not happen. And it is controlled by uh, a privately owned entity under Tata Steel that manages the entire city. And to people that have been to Jamshedpur, like I have been, it seems a very ideal city in many respects. So do you think that is a good alternative? Why, why can't certain things be privatized? Because Jamshedpur is a significantly large city with uh, a lot of people. And we know that the major problem with municipal government in India has been the lack of fiscal federalism, right? Because they don't have money to implement the changes that we want them to. And therefore, if you privatize this, and then there is the profit motive driving something, then automatically things become much more 
smoothly functioning and they become much more efficient. So do you think that is a good alternative? See, firstly, um, I don't think uh, the free market economists would agree to electricity and water being public goods as such because there is no, you know, there's no market failure there. But the state has been mandated to provide certain things because where there is a market failure, because, you know, the, a private player is not going to supply electricity to the farthest corners. You need the state to be there, right? So, uh, yeah, Jamshedpur, again, uh, the Tata's probably, um, I mean, it's a fabulous uh, way to govern a city or whatever. I mean, they've done a great job with Jamshedpur. Firstly, we need to ask the question, is it a private corporation's mandate to actually do these governance things? Will they do it everywhere? Will the Tatars pick up anywhere to do these things? There is no incentive to do it uh, in all places, you know. So I think, the, I mean, governance or uh, local governance as such, we need to go back to the definition of where the government should be. And so it goes back to, again, monopoly over violence. They need, so because the state has monopoly over violence, they need to keep uh, the state secure, enforcement of contracts, and, you know, provision of public goods, which the market will not provide for. Now, if, if you give everything to the market, then you are bound to have issues of, you know, equity, efficiency, all those things, and therefore may not be able to service the entire. So I don't, I, I'm not sure that is a scalable model too for the corporates, since they're not in that business. Yes, they're not currently in the business because we have given it to the, to the government. But uh, the way I was thinking about it is that, yes, there might be problems of equity in the face value, but uh, on the on the face of it. But if we if we were to think about it for long enough, I'm sure there can be proper incentives as to why a private company would like to invest in the management of a city because there is profit to be made, right? Uh, there is profit to be made in especially the electricity sector in India uh, because currently we see how woeful the entire sector is. We have power cuts ranging over hours. There has been a ATP episode on it previously. We'll link, link it on the in the show notes. So I think that especially has a major potential for private investment and for private control. Similarly, I think a lot of problems with water that we have, if they were better... Yeah, see, it's the pricing of the goods. Also, the subsidies come into play, right? What the government charges us. Is is there a way to segment all customers, I mean, all your citizens, into paying, non-paying, subsidized, how much you charge whom? Unless you figure that out, how will you... Uh, you know, have this whole thing about having a market rate for customers. So it's the pricing of the good that will determine uh, whether the government should get it. Right. Yeah, I think that is the biggest argument against this because if 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 if, if the local governments had uh, the funds that we wanted them to have, then the argument could be made that they could subsidize it for poorer populations. Therefore, uh, you know, even if it's expensive, the ones that can afford it would go ahead while for the others it could be subsidized by the government but the management is done by a private company. But because the funds are the big issue, I don't see how that is feasible. But the reason I brought this up was there are also problems with the concept of active citizenship, right? Because just just looking at America, 
for example it the fact that people are more involved in the system is great for many things but it's also not so good for some other things right because uh in for example in america the fact that people are so aware of their rights and are so active in the political discourse can also be said to be the reason why there was the entire protest against wearing masks why so many people are anti vaxxers right so often collective wisdom might not be the right thing and especially on a local level where which is which is the most important level through which you can actually communicate with the government where you can get involved are we sure that we can trust the collective wisdom every time because it's often misdirected right yeah collective wisdom within the framework of the constitution right anything that is against the constitution can always be challenged you need to give a broad framework and then allow for local uh, local solutions to local problems if you give have a top down approach to everything then that is also not going to work so as long as we have a framework i i still think local governments will work yes of course but uh the thing is with the constitution does not say how much you should price your electricity at right and we can we can debate about the constitutional values and the constitutional framework but the fact that the amount of so the very fact that there is a lack of fiscal federalism how does that get solved with people getting more involved in the system see if people knew that i mean i'm sure people know but if people are more aware of the fact or are more aggressive about uh getting you know ensuring that local governments get more money or start a campaign on that then it will flow it has we have to make a, make it flow into the political narrative into everything that feeds the electoral system only then and then somebody come i mean you know again expanding the overton window or whatever you call it right now there does not seem to be room for anyone to say that local governments can do a better job than a mandate by the central government right there could be inefficiencies within the central, within the local governments that's not uh, i mean i'm not debating that but i'm saying people need to buy into the idea or people need to be really wedded to the idea that your local problems are going to be solved by local solutions and local funds functions man, uh, and functionaries right what has been granted to uh, for the autonomy of local governments so if that gets fed into the electoral narratives electoral promises etc probably we can make some kind of change towards that so if that were to happen then there will be more reforms that are re- needed also right because the reason why i think the american model works the way it does uh in governance is that everything is based around a city so a city has its own police force for example yeah, see has its own police force education i mean you see people so involved in the local school board local you know because education is uh, you know whatever your public schools i mean all parents are involved in some form or the other we don't see that here that's again because we have found private solutions to them where we think the school will take care of everything and we don't seem to be as involved in school governance yeah so well. this is where exactly i wanted the collective wisdom thing to come in because when you get involved on a local level that doesn't it also make the entire system more uh, ripe for uh, 
you know, uh, lobbying and and for people with more wealth to decide what is correct. Because if because when it is on a central level, and there are only certain things that you can influence, that is separate from when it's on a local level and the everyday existence of a person through you know maybe electricity or water is influenced because a certain person has an inadequate amount, like a disproportionate amount of wealth and other people just cannot do anything but be influenced by it. And that has happened in America in the past over in many cities where... It's true, true, true. But again, that is... But America is also... I mean, I, I don't know if we can draw like direct parallels with America because their entire system of, you know, they have their... Uh, their neighborhoods are defined by income, whereas we have fairly mixed neighborhoods everywhere, right? So your school also is defined by the neighborhood and all that. So it's a little, I mean, while they can be modeled, but I don't know how relevant it will be to us. I mean, we need a framework and within that, you should give autonomy to local governments to find hyper-local solutions. Suman, uh, sometimes uh, hyperlocal solutions have occasionally been tried. Uh, you know, I can think most obviously of Delhi, where the idea was at least was floated of having referendums for local issues, though that was never quite implemented. Again, I, I'll ask you: uh, Are there any downsides that you see uh, to trying to implement uh, these type of hyperlocal solutions to involving uh, the local population in, uh, you know, regular matters of governance? Yeah, the absence of expertise on, I mean, sometimes it's not always the numbers, the game that will work, right? Sometimes you have to trust the experts and uh, the experts view may not be the common sense or the, you know, the simplistic view and that all people will take on any issue. So uh, if you go by purely local solutions or uh, involving everybody into the thing, then uh, you could have those issues. Right, everything it would become a majoritarian thing, whatever. So again, my thing is it has to be a broader framework, and uh, within that, as much autonomy as local conditions or local ecosystems can allow for. Uh, yeah, it does definitely bring up uh, some dilemmas, and and yet it's also interesting, right? It's amazing that yeah. we can begin by talking about urban governance, and you know we really end up grappling with so many of the most profound issues uh, in politics, you know, uh, the question, the role of democracy, uh, of citizens, uh, of uh, representatives and so on. Uh, thank you so much for joining us uh, on All Things Policy, Suman. We really hope to have you back on the podcast very soon again. Thank you. My pleasure entirely. Thanks. And uh, thank you also, Atish. And thank you for joining us on All Things Policy. Please consider signing up for Takshashila's courses. Applications are now open and you can apply at www.takshashila.org.in slash courses. If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app, ivmpodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media, the handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy and economic affairs, 
Check us out at our Twitter handle at takshashila.inst or our website takshashila.org.in.